Hey, it's Tom Kradz, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, we have the famous or the infamous Ron Butler. Ron Butler has been in the mortgage game for a very long time. Many of you have likely heard Dave Butler, his son, on this podcast before, and we've done a lot of business over the years with Dave Butler. Ron is Dave's father. He is a great guy, a very opinionated guy. If you are easily offended, this podcast is not for you. Let this be the warning. We cover a lot of ground. Ron shares his thoughts on Donald Trump, shares his thoughts on housing supply in Ontario and regulations on, on builders in Ontario. We go through some of the immigration numbers that are happening kind of over the last 10 years and right now. We talk about COVID's effects on the economy here in Canada. We talk about things like CERB and everything the Canadian government's doing. So we go through a lot of different uh, topics. And what I like about Ron is he's just going to call it like he sees it. So really a Appreciate Ron coming on here. He doesn't do this kind of thing often, so we're very grateful that he he decided to come into our new offices and sit down with us and have this discussion. Nick and I both chat with Ron. It takes two of us to talk to Ron because you know Ron Ron is a big personality. If you follow Ron on Twitter, you know he is a big personality. But the best part about Ron is he's been in the mortgage game so long, he's seen a thing or two. So some of his his insights are very powerful. So Thank you, Ron, for coming on. If you are listening to this and you want to get access to some of the latest real estate information that we are sharing beyond this podcast, you can get access to our latest articles, our latest research reports, free copies of our books, access to our training class, all at this URL, www.rockstarinnercircle.com. That's www.rockstarinnercircle.com. When you go there, you'll see links to the different YouTube videos that we're sharing. You'll see links to the different research research reports, some of which some of them are on topics we discuss on this podcast, like the population angle that has been happening in Canada that we believe has been the most underreported fundamental thing that has been driving the real estate game here in Ontario for years. We have a report on that with different immigration numbers and you can see different family formations and the housing supply numbers. That's available at www.rockstar in our circle as well under the reports tab. Access to our live training classes that we put on here at Rockstar is available for you there as well. So everything you can think of around real estate is available for you at www.rockstarinnercircle.com. Remember, Ron's gonna call it like he sees it so if you have any thinking that you might get offended on anything here, prepare yourself. I kind of, it wasn't really that bad. I should take some of that back. It really wasn't that bad. It was Ron just speaking his mind and Ron's a, a good guy. So um, with that, let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we are live with the he, famous, Ron Butler is a famous in the, I, I want to say Canada, but in the mortgage community, Ron Butler. I don't know how long you've been in the community, but I feel like you've been in the mortgage business a long time. A long time, and it, being famous in the mortgage community is similar to being the most famous trash removal guy in Canada. I mean, it's a very small industry. It's very, it's much, it's, it's enormously smaller than realtors. Like it's just crazy smaller. So it's it's. Do you big, know how many number, how many mortgage brokers are there? There's only about twenty four thousand. I mean, like and that's it's, all. That's it's, all. It's, of it's Canada? less. It's yeah, all of Canada. It's like less than half a treb. Uh, just yeah, just treb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, we got into the wrong business, Nick. 
<laughs> we so, totally got into uh, the wrong business. It's, See, but, Ron's but, laughing. Ron's not laughing with us right now. Ron is laughing at us right now. That's the way this is. By the way, Nick, can you hear me okay? <laughs> loud and clear. Yeah, loud okay. and clear. Yeah. Well, always remember that, you know, we are just a part of the mortgage business. The banks are infinitely bigger than we are. Uh, they account for 60% of all the mortgage transactions. 65% of the new mortgage transactions in Canada. Always remember, bank, the five Canadian banks control 87% of all the financial transactions in this country. 87. 87. Because you start to count everything, like checking accounts, investments, mortgages, commercial lending, uh, you know, this huge array of stuff. So Try to pull the, yeah, the mic a little bit closer maybe there. This huge array of things yeah. that, the, that the banks control uh, it ends up with 87% of every financial transaction in Canada. Which That's is a crazy. big, big number, yeah, right? That is huge. That it's doesn't make number. me happy at all. No, it's weird in the states because when you go to the states, there's like you know the the fifth, third bank and the sixth, eighth bank. Like they, they you know, and, and there's good and bad to, to them both, right? But they have like I know they have big ones too, but but they have a ton of other smaller community ones where we don't really have access to those, right? A few credit unions, and that's about it. There used to be thirty-eight thousand banks in the United States. I mean, it's gone down. But uh, they have a completely, the way it works started is different. So we always had, going back hundreds, 100 years, we always had coast-to-coast -coast banks. They followed the railway out, and there was coast-to-coast -coast banks or national banks. And in the States, you couldn't have a national bank until the 1970s. You were, all banks were state-regulated on purpose, and you couldn't work outside of your state which is the reason mortgage brokerage grew dramatically in the United States in the 1970s and 80s, is that you had to move, a bank isn't national. So if there's a ton of people saving money and depositors in New Hampshire, and a ton of people who wanted to build houses and have mortgages in Texas, the only people who could move the money were mortgage brokerage companies. The banks couldn't work over state lines. And that was the growth of the mortgage brokerage industry in the banking sector, in, in what is really a banking sector in a sale of uh, prime mortgages, best rate mortgages. And that's why it happened. It was because there was state, you couldn't have a national bank in the United States for so long. So it was a really different environment. Well, I didn't know that. I always just thought I came at it from the point that I think mortgages really took off, I feel like in the 60s or something uh, as a concept, right? Does yep. that sound right to you? Yeah, that's, I feel that's like it's right. when it really kind of started. So I always came at it from that point of view, like, oh, that's when like the mortgages really got, I never really thought of it as mortgage brokers playing a role even earlier on moving money across state lines and stuff like that. Wow. It sounds like smuggling. It sounds uh, like they were smuggling money, but I guess it was legal smuggling. And that's why their, their world looks so different. I mean, it, it, it's right now, um, the federal, uh, the bank, the banker, the, the chairman of the fed board in the United States is buying high interest rate bonds that are related to putting them on his balance sheet that are related to mortgages because he has no choice. And people are railing against, oh, the Fed's gone crazy. They're buying high interest debt. What's going on here? They're nuts. It's not what people think. It has to do with the fact that mortgages don't necessarily in the United States reside in banks. They don't have big capitalized entities behind them. They're resold and resold and resold and end up in uh, a high-yield bond system. And that in order to prevent that from going completely blowing up, if, it's, if the servicers get in trouble, because you, 
you know, we don't have, there's no mortgage deferral that's going on here in Canada during COVID that is going on in the United States. They can go for two months or three months and it's patchwork. Like some people's mortgages can't be deferred. It was sold into a bond pool that they ain't taking no deferral. You know, that's it. Because that bond pool might be privately held by exactly. some. It is absolutely privately, privately held. held. Yeah, so it these guys are like, screw you. Held. I'm not going. Yeah. So, but what about Fannie Mae? Like, I don't know much about them, but Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, aren't those like RCMHC kind of? It's a little different. They actually buy the mortgages. CMHC is just an insurer, and the mortgages remain in Canada. CMHC, Genworth, Canada Guarantee. They're insurance companies. They're federally mandated insurance companies. They have the imprint of the government of Canada behind them. But in the case of the United States, those big, two huge entities buy mortgages and then recycle them as bonds. So they're a securitization entity. So you're okay then. Have they always been that? That's how it's always been? They've always been a securitization entity, yes. Always. Now, people looked at, until the financial crisis in 2008, people just looked at them like they were... And they were, they were government mandated, they were backed by the government, and people just looked on them as a source of interest. Like, you know, if you, you bought into Fannie Mae, you bought into Freddie Mac, you just got a set interest rate and life was good. And nobody ever thought they could blow up, which they did. And they were rescued by the government. And interestingly, they, they sort of survived. I mean, one of the things we should understand about the financial crisis in the United States is, is that there's a big, remember, remember TARP. TARP was the big controversy. We're going to, you know, give all these banks all this capital and everybody called it a bailout. Funny thing about TARP is it was fully repaid 12 years in advance of what it was expected to be repaid and the government made a profit on it. So this is really important to understand that if you bail out an automotive company, you may lose all your money. But if you bail out banks, it's really hard to lose all your money. It's not really a bailout. You're lending money to them. But, but when it, we bail out banks, and I, and I totally see where you're coming, so I'll just play a bit of devil's advocate. If, when we bail out banks, aren't we then teaching them to lend, you know, willy-nilly? That's not a very technical term, but I think you know what I mean. Like, what lend without analyzing the risk of your lending because then the government's always going to step in and save you. So don't we create an economy where... There's no analysis, and and then we save these banks, and then Main Street and people who don't have access to the cash revolt because they're like, well, wait a second here. These guys really don't seem to need the cash from my point of view. I mean, doesn't it create... So first question is, doesn't it teach the banks to lend a little incorrectly? Second thing is, doesn't it show society that we're protecting the big guys and not really protecting the little guys? It's a good couple of good points. Uh to address the first thing, um, the banks in Canada never lent incorrectly. Like never. To this day, never. Mm-hmm. No one here ever lent incorrectly, which is why the 2008 financial crisis in Canada was a blip. It was an eight-month blip. It was over. It was completely done at the end of a, a year by 2009. 2010 was a banner year. Um so we lend differently here. We never break rules. The, bank, the big banks never, they stretch some things, but they never break anything. They design mortgages sensibly. They underwrite them carefully. And, you know, no matter how popular it is in the Twitterverse or the blogosphere to say that, 
oh, it's their government backed, they're crazy sons of bitches, we just keep bailing them out. <laughs> it, it never actually, it's just not true. It is fun to say, though. It is fun, it to, is say. fun to say. It is fun to say. But in, <laughs> now, remember, in the United States, in an environment where there's all these jillions of banks and lending industry, lending entities, it's a different story. There could be very odd goings on. And that's where I was coming from when I was saying the lending. It was and, like and the U.S. Listen, one. it was very odd. It was so far past odd, it was just batshit crazy. Okay. The, the lending in prior to 2008 in the United States and mortgages was just nuts. There's no sense to it. It was insane. It was a conspiracy between Wall Street, bond rating agencies, and uh, big mega banks. And it just, it just almost destroyed their economy. But... To get, return to my point that if you when you bail out banks, you teach people, oh, too big to fail, um, big guys always win. Here's the thing in Canada. In Canada, our banking system again, 87% of all financial transactions, these big banks, is intertwined with our government, and sometimes that's a bad thing because they make so much money. And you might say, well, it's a little too cozy. That's why they do so well. That's why everything's good. And they're so profitable and so stable, so secure, and because maybe it's the fix is in. But you can make the absolute opposite argument to that. You could say that it has created a stable, very well-organized financial world in this country that benefits everyone. Because let's face it, this thing that happened in April, March, April, the worldwide pandemic disaster it's a total catastrophe is anybody did it did our any bank fail did anybody fail to get their money out of their atm did any financial transaction go awry you know when there was people were basically locked up in their houses our financial system functioned perfectly and all of a sudden on like one single day that everybody who needed a mortgage deferral got it not, not just piecemeal like as it is in the states not just some can't. Yeah, some that was won't. impressive. In the bank's defense, that was very impressive. I got to admit. I got to admit. Yeah. One day, everybody's problem with mortgages stopped. It was temporary, but it stopped. So that's a great benefit. Here's the thing. Let's just talk about other countries. In Britain, in one day, everybody needed 40% down payment on a house. Is that what happened? That's what happened. One day, they went from similar kinds of down payment setups to ours. To a one-day announcement from every major bank. Yeah, no, we're we're forty uh, percent down, and uh, yeah, we think we're not even going to honor some of the commitments we've made. You better find forty percent. Well, wait a second. This thing says twenty percent here. Right? My mortgage contract says twenty percent. We changed our minds. It's forty now. Go find some more money, or we won't, won't close the transaction. So there is a benefit to having a government highly intertwined with banks. You could say. You know, I'd much rather ask why we have the highest cell phone rates in the world, but because that just bugs the shit out of me. But the, the, the banking system, because I'm close enough to it, I understand that there's a side of it that's kind of worrisome in that you, know, you, can, call, you can basically charge any, you can charge any sort of, we have the highest mutual fund you know, costs in the world, and that's not good. But we also have a very, very stable financial system. Yeah, we, we, and I, I'm also grateful for that. It does. Pretty, it, sometimes I wonder, so I'd, I'd like to get your take on it. Sometimes I wonder 
why we don't make it more difficult for Canadians to buy. It's funny because you're in the mortgage business. I'm in the real estate business. So it doesn't make sense that I'm asking this question. I think to many people because, you know, we're in real estate transactions. You you would normally think you want it as easy as possible for people to buy homes. But part of me thinks sometimes why wouldn't the banks or the government just say, you know what? We are really going to cool this real estate market. We're just going to raise down payments across the board you know, in a, in, a, in a healthy environment, not because of a pandemic or anything, we're just going to raise them to like 30% across the board for everybody, no matter what you're doing, first time home buyer, invest, whatever it is, just because we want to cool this market. Isn't And, and, and I, I'm asking you that because sometimes I feel the government chastises Canadians a little bit and says, oh, you're pulling on too much debt, but can't they just change the rules? Like, what, what's your take on that? We have... It's, again, another great idea, and it is always fascinating why people in the mortgage industry and the real estate industry would say, yeah, I think these banks are too, it's too easy to get a mortgage here. Like, why are we saying it? Um, I think it's, yeah, just coming out of, out of, we care. I know that sounds, but we, we were careful. We don't want the market to be. We, we, we should care, and what we should care about is prices that are ridiculous. That's what we should care about. We should care about. Uh, 65 year old uh, 900 square foot bungalow in Scarborough selling for $980,000. We should think to ourselves, by the way, I love Scarborough, so nobody's mad about Scarborough talk. Uh, I love Scarborough. Uh, but at the end of the day, you, you have to say to yourself, well, wait a second, like, uh, what? Like it, $980,000 for the for 900 square foot 65 year old house? I don't understand that. You know, it's, so that's always been my bone of contention with things in our real estate world is that the prices are, in some cases, ridiculously high. So set that aside. We are The great thing about Canada and the thing that probably is going to mean that we're going to have a great economy for a long time to come, a couple of things, apart from a lot of great people here, one of the biggest things is immigration. So we bring more people into Canada per capita and in relationships, you always have to break things down by the size of your population. We bring more people into Canada, we welcome more people to Canada than virtually any other country in the world on a consistent basis. You know, whether Germany brings in a million refugees one one particular year, that's one thing, but every single year. Yeah, we look into this and talk about this regularly. Yeah, so we're like, we, we, we're, we, un, we know the numbers. Yeah, and, and, and you should talk about it because it's really important. It's really, really and, important. And, and, and for the last couple of years, like for the last few years, we've been talking about it. And the in the media, they barely talk about it. And then it's like once in a while, there's a little bit of a headline about it. And then it just kind of like disappears again. But it's been driving so much. You're 100% right. And what we also have to accept, though, is that we must continue. Mm -hmm. Like this is not something we can change our minds about. It is probably the single most compelling economic argument in favor of Canada that exists that's it. It's not about trees or minerals or uh, wheat or uh, hockey, hockey or cars or cars or the leaves, man. The leaves, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the year. This, this is, is the year. This is this. <laughs> the year is like six weeks. So I mean, maybe yeah. there is a hope. I don't know. You might have a six-week Stanley Cup year. Uh, anyway, the but let, let's let's face it. This is the single greatest accomplishment of our country is being known throughout the world as a welcoming country, a fair country, rule of law, free health care. I mean, it is, it is so many things built into what we do that favor people coming here. New Canadians, we're welcoming, people acknowledge everything. It's really highlighted when a 
demented lunatic gets becomes the president of the United States. And is that a, uh, tell is us that, how you feel. Is that, a, is, that a te- is that a technical term? Yeah, that's a technical term. That's a technical term. Like <laughs> crazed orange narcissist becomes the president of the United States, and everybody in the I whole, like how you're pounding the table when yeah, you're pounding that. the table when I say that. So that that and everybody around the world says maybe we'll take a pause on going there for a while, and they don't want us anyway. They've said that they they don't want us, and so we here we have a North American country that's enormously welcoming. And this has been, you know, the real engine of our development for the last 30 years. And therefore, you can't make housing difficult to come by. You can't, because all these people, I'll tell you one thing about these people who come from all over the world. One of the things that drives them more than anything else, they come from countries, in many cases, where they're prevented from buying real estate both economically, structurally, historically, you name it. So they come here and say, this is the greatest place in the world. I can own my own home here. And to, 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 and then there's a fairness issue. Okay, so it's a, it's a selling feature of Canada, actually. I never thought about that, actually. Yeah, I never really it, took it, it, it does make sense. It's, it's super important to understand. And there's, then there becomes a fairness issue. Because I also encounter the fact that a lot of people who do talk about you know, wow, it's just too easy to buy a house. You find out that either their parents or their grandparents got a 5% down house, and that's how they got started. Sure. And yeah, yeah. You know, there is a compelling fairness argument here as well. Like you, you yeah, Especially if you already own some property, to then say, hey, I get it. So I can totally see that angle as well. Sure. So those are two really important things we have to understand about. Um, again, I'm a guy who says literally every single day on Twitter, Price of houses here is ridiculous. Okay. So yeah, but so then, but then, well, then what do you do, right? Because you're saying that prices prices of houses are ridiculous. But then we have this immigration number, which is driving demand, right? Because there's demand, there there is internal demand as well. But the immigrate, the, the population growth is driving it further. Hundred percent. And and we're not keeping up with the supply. So then, do we change? Do we change the rules on the supply side and try to open up more supply to kind of get to level things off? Because the, it's the easy, isn't it? The easy money policy and the supply demand. Uh, gap that that's what what's driving these prices to in you know where you think some things are, are ridiculous all true uh, we have in particularly in Ontario we have supply side madness uh, for a place that there is all kinds of open country uh, we restrict development we overcharge developers we we make it incredibly complex to do anything it's all wrong it's as simple as that it's all wrong and then the, the other concomitant issue is that we have brought people to Canada and continue to take, and, and who have imported money from overseas and bought housing stock in the same way people buy equities in the stock market. That's true. That, that's yeah, true yeah, as well. Yeah, that's true. And yeah. that is a severe mistake on our government's part. Okay, so that, you're right, that should be throttled. Yeah, that, so someone, that's changing the dynamic. Because we know the people like from other parts of the world. I mean, th- this was years ago, but we there was one story that we know from from someone that we, we trust. Like it was a real story where this person was heading back. They were here to see their kids who were in school. They were from, I believe it was China. It could be wrong, but somewhere in Asia. And they came and they're, you know, on the way back to the airport to leave. They're like, you know what? We should just buy a couple of condos. They stopped in a sales center and they just bought a couple just because, you know. And, and to your point there, that's the type of, that's the type of speculation stuff that removes the housing stock for people that are going to live in it and then drives prices even further. That's the type of stuff you're talking about? That's 100% the type of stuff I'm talking about. I am talking about the concept that in the 
fastest growing economy on earth, where there have been more millionaires and billionaires created in the last 20 years than in the history of the world ever in China, that those people don't trust their government, nor would you if you lived there. You wouldn't trust your government. I don't it's trust a, them when I live here. And, and that's a totalitarian dictatorship in China. It is that it is the, the, the Chinese Communist Party is the soul of evil. Chinese people are great. We love them. We they're here. We want them to be here. We love the people in China. Nothing against the Chinese people. The Chinese government is the soul of evil. So, and, and that's demonstrated by the fact that their citizens export trillions of dollars to buy assets in other countries. You don't see people in America exporting trillions of dollars to buy houses in other countries. You don't, you don't observe it. So what we end up happening is we have, the, we have sort of anti-Mexico. You can't buy a house in Mexico unless you're a Mexican on the, in, on the coast. You can, you can buy, you can buy a, a, something in the middle of nowhere in the desert uh, in the interior, but you cannot buy coastal property really? like a but what about a condo in a, a timeshare development or something you cannot you have to buy it through a trust through a mexican citizen you cannot buy coastal prime pro you never could you couldn't for the last 40 years you cannot buy those properties if you're a foreigner and when you i learned this, this was my first trip to mexico i asked about it they said no you can't you can't you can't buy it we don't allow you to buy it and i said well you don't you don't allow us to buy it he says no if we allowed you to buy it you'd own it all no, you'd own all of it, and we would be uh, we would be put out of properties in our own country. So no, we're not going to let you buy any of these coastal properties. None of them. You're not allowed. You buy it through trust. We're going to make sure that the actual technical ownership stays with Mexicans. You're not going to be able to buy it. So you have to question. And you know, for years of our history, it didn't matter. It was unimportant. Nobody, no policymaker in any level of government believed that someday people are going to come here and buy our houses as a commodity. If you had said that to somebody 30 years ago, 25 <laughs> years ago, oh yeah, who, what's going to, yeah, in, 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 over the course of the next 25 years, people are going to come from China, bring in billions and trillions of dollars and buy housing stock to leave it empty or, and that, or to speculate in it and trade it like it was monopoly pieces. If you just said that to somebody 30 years ago, they said, well, yeah, you're, 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 you're insane. You're nuts. <laughs> okay. We observe it every day if you're in the real estate business you understand that there are condominium buildings pre-sale sold out one day how's that, how's that because people are buying a dozen units at a crack and they are people and, and the other thing about immigration is and again i can't tell you how much i support immigration in this country i, I talk about it endlessly so nick and i are products of two immigrant parents who would have never met if it wasn't for canada Palais, Palais Royale, Ron, on Lakeshore. They met at a dance at Palais Royale on Lakeshore. We wouldn't even be sitting here if it wasn't for Canada's immigration. So, yeah, we're fans. Uh, uh, three, three of my four grandparents are from other countries. Okay, So we just have to understand that this is, this is in the DNA of this country. But we have to question the idea that people who are afraid of their government in another country, who, don't, who believe someday their government may come and seize all their assets. So they have to move their assets offshore and to make sure... Or it's a banking real. sector that might just collapse. There's that. And... They send their kids offshore to become educated in that country, to become familiar with that country, to get uh, PR cards in that country, to eventually become citizens of that country, and then they export all their money to those kids who then buy the properties. And it is an aberration to the normal process of housing. 
And we have to understand that. Mm -hmm. So there's a bunch of things that you could fix and not do anything with the banking system. You could make this virtually impossible, this whole concept of foreign ownership or foreign money coming into the country to buy properties. You could, make, you could eliminate that because Mexico eliminated it 50 years ago. You could say, and the, this is coming, and this is, it's just, it just, this is coming right now. You can say that an Airbnb cannot be an illegal hotel. That you cannot, you, Airbnb was always fronted when they came to this country as we're going to let you rent out a room in your house and that's going to help you economically, which made perfect sense because you were in your house, able to observe the tenant and make sure that everything went well. It's fine. But when it turned into the to a whole condo being built for the, every single unit was 385 square feet and it was sold out exclusively to people who were going to run an Airbnb, it's an illegal hotel. It's not correctly taxed. There's no adequate security. It is crazy. And we saw that in April when the, when the, the Airbnb units could no longer be rented and they flooded the market. We saw the supply, what it did, and it changed the market, especially in some of the buildings. Right to next your to Scotiabank Arena, there was like 100 vacant Airbnbs. Yeah, and they ju it just flooded the market. And, it, and it's, it's, it's one of the reasons the condo market specifically softened over the last couple of months is because this, this, this Airbnb inventory just all of a sudden mm. just appeared. Right. Let me. I want to throw something else at Ron. And just so you know, our 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 father was flipping properties in the late 1980s. 1990 hit. Our family almost went bankrupt because he was flipping a property at Mississauga Road. He bought it for 750. He bought paper, uh, and then he uh, closed on the property. He was going to flip it. It fell from 750 to 450. I think it was TD. It might have been a different bank, but anyway, Bank of Canada raised rates. It was like 2.9 percent in a month at that point. Uh, it was reflected over to him. Luxury real estate market came tumbling down 750 to 450 we almost lost everything as a family it was a horrible horrible journey that's never never left our mind so even though we're in real estate in the back of my minds we're always paranoid about real estate but the, but on the on the on the, the demand issue Nick and I broke down some of the population numbers over the last 10 years and it looks like we've had a shortfall on family formations to housing supply of about um for, Nick, what is it? It's 50,000 family formations approximately a year, and then it's about 36,000 supply a year. It's like 14,000 Delta. Or is that that's over 10 years? Oh, now I'm forgetting the math. Yeah, yeah. I'm forgetting I, the math. It's not a I'm forgetting the actual numbers. Oh. I remember anyway, when we looked at them, it was anywhere from two and a half to three years. It was about two of. and a half or three years of demand built up over the last 10 years because of the lack of supply of new housing. So although we're very always concerned I, I, of the real estate market. I look at that, that there's just this built-in demand because people haven't been able to buy properties because of lack of supply. Then I look at interest rates, in my opinion, that are never going to go up. And I'm like, huh, I don't know. I guess housing, I guess, uh, unless the economic data changes drastically in the fall, which I, I am kind of thinking it may, and that maybe affects the housing market. I'm like, I don't know. We're going to keep bringing people into this country. Interest rates are going to stay super low. Where do you think housing goes from here? Again, I, and I know none of us have the crystal ball, but where do you, like, how do you think it unfolds? Part of me thinks maybe the economy changes in the fall and then that pulls it all down for a little while. But what, what, what's your take? And Jamie Dimon, the CEO of Citibank, said yesterday that this is the most peculiar economic moment he's ever experienced in his life. That is a severe, massive economic catastrophe. Savings rates are up. The stock market is up. 
in certain parts of the United States, there's no effect on the price of houses. And people are, are foreclosures have been postponed on a much more limited basis in the United States, far more limited. But still, foreclosure. And he says, "I'm. And we're not foreclosing on anybody because it's you know it's the Citibank's biggest bank in the state, so they're not they're, they're following the government policy." This is the most peculiar moment in my economic in my economic it's, history. It's a good okay? point. Everything's great. You can make money anywhere doing but anything. But the economy's half closed. Yeah. <laughs> so let's think about this for a second. This is the greatest economic experiment ever undertaken by a country. And bear in mind that Canada has done more than any other country on earth to support its population in this COVID crisis by the, to the tune of about 40% more than the next most aggressive country. Yeah, is it that high? I, it's I, that knew, high. I knew it was that high. What's that based on as a percentage of GDP? Let me just run the numbers out at you. So we've got CERB. Uh, no country, uh, Britain was was aggressive in adopting these kind of payments, but it was for a much shorter period of time. There's no extension of, of their version of CERB in Britain. It's not happening. Mortgage, uh, mortgage deferral. No country at all, even close, not even in the same postal code, did as big a move on mortgage deferral as we have. Nobody. There is no country that is offering both CERB and SUS. So CERB is, we're sending checks to individuals, 8 million of them. And in the United States, they sent one check for 1200 bucks. That's it. Send it to everybody, but they only sent one check. No more. Uh, maybe more. We'll see. But right now, one check. SUS. So the United States has a version of SUS. Uh, SUS is the, the uh, wage the payroll, subsidy. Subsidy. payroll subsidy. Um, it's not as big or aggressive as ours, as ours is. Nobody, nobody in the world just gave $40,000 interest-free loan to every small business. It didn't happen anywhere else in the world. No, nobody's doing that. Where if you pay it back in time, you keep 10. And it's a free grant of 10. And by the way, it's every small business. It's even a business that's not a business. It's even if you just incorporated a company. Is it? I haven't looked into the details on that one. Oh, I've looked into all the details. Yes. <laughs> so it, 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 there's, there's, there's. Initially, that wasn't though. Initially, you had to have a minimum. I forget, but they changed it. I guess. Guys, it's a it's a six question portal on a website, and if you answer the questions, which none of which are checked in any way, you get forty thousand dollar loan from your bank dropped into your account. Zero interest. Zero interest for two years. And a free grant of ten grand if you pay it off on time. So we have in, in the mortgage agent world, the mortgage brokerage world, you can individual people can incorporate, which is not as easy to do in the real estate world. No. Right. So every changing this year, every single mortgage broker who had a a, a corporation has got the forty thousand dollars. Oh jeez. Every single oh, one of yeah. them has got a $40,000 deposit to their account. We're a great country, Ron. We're a great country. So if, if you know, if you want to talk about percentage of GDP, I can't give you those numbers, but I can tell you that we have more programs lasting longer, like feels more like aggressively than any other country on the yeah. face of the earth. Ron can't give you the GDP numbers because our finance, we don't publish the data accurately, Nick. We won't know. We, will probably, we won't know this for two well, they're, years. They're still trying don't to figure ask, it out. Yeah, don't yeah. ask data-driven questions. I mean, we, we were told that the, the deficit's going to be $338 billion. 
And I guarantee you that whatever number it is, it is not that number. Yeah, yeah. it is I'm, some I'm number of significantly take, greater yeah, amount yeah. than that. I'm all in on the over on that number. I'm yeah, all that, in on the over. That, there, you can't get a counterparty on the over on that number. You cannot. There is nobody covering that bet on the over. It does not exist. Okay. I still remember when Trudeau. There was a, one of his press conferences. Someone asked about oh, yeah, about, the, mad. about the payment of it. Yeah, do you remember he was getting mad about? Well, the interest rates are low. Yeah. <laughs> am, I, am I okay? It's a historic and, time. Why are you asking me yeah, why we're spending money? But then the he, rates are so low. But then he basically said, he goes, we're, I'm not, we're, we know we have to do it, which I'm not even making that argument one way or another, but he goes, I'm not even, you know, we're not, I'm not worried about how, if, how we're going to pay for it. And I was like, you know what, what, whether we have to do it or not, let's say you did into this capacity or some capacity, that's fine. But there should be in my head, I'm like, there should be a little bit of thought thinking about how we're going to pay for it. And I know what the answer is. It's these, there's this thing called taxes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> going Remember, we're not allowed to call them taxes anymore. They are revenue tools. That really? Is how we, that, no, yeah, really? Yeah, that is how, yeah if you, whenever you listen to John Tory talk oh, at the mayor of Toronto, this. This is, I like he this. says, we need new revenue, revenue tools. tools. <laughs> oh, I haven't heard. I didn't realize that. That's oh. good. You got to listen to this stuff, guys. Wait, it, it's if for it's real. revenue to them, it would be an expense to me then. Yeah, so, so I can deduct no... my taxes off something. Boys, it's a revenue tool. Revenue We're not going to use like the T word. Don't uh, use the T word at all. I, I okay, like it's a revenue tool. Okay, now, you know, I I can say unequivocally that I believe the government did the right thing in in running out many of these programs. You know, here's the deal: if your government says you can't go to work, your government has to do something to manage that problem. I agree. Period. I agree with that. End of story. That's fair. Yeah, that but is it's, fair. It's, it's the draw. The, the thing where I get it kind of up in arms about it is I'm like, well, let's, we got to draw the line now because now I feel I don't even know when Serbs extended to. I feel like every time I look it up, it was October fourth. Is it October now? Is I, thought, I thought October fourth, but I'm hearing End through of the year, grapevine maybe, that yeah. it's going longer. I'm hearing that some people in government want it to go forever. Well, I, that's I, that's called that that's the 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 uh, universal income benefit. So. Um, listen, it can't go on forever. Uh, your, the, the point here that we got to make is very simple. We've done more to support our population. The government of Canada at all levels has done more, more to support their population than any other country on earth it, it, by an enormous amount. And maybe that's fine. But it's time to decide, when, again, Jamie Dimon, yeah, strangest moment in the history of history that uh, everybody's fine in an economic catastrophe and everyone is fine. Let's talk about for a minute, we, we talked a little bit earlier about the fact that certain businesses go down, and obviously our business went down, and uh, it happened, it was real, we experienced it. It didn't go to zero. We need to start realizing, and people need to start talking about the fact that many industries have gone to zero. If you're in the airline business, you're effectively zero. If you're in the hotel business, you're effectively zero. Apparently, the only occupants of downtown hotels right now, the only paying people in downtown hotels with no tourists, no conventions, and none on the horizon, that some of these hotels are effectively small-scale bordellos, and that they are only, the only people who are renting them are sex workers. For, I never for, thought about that. Okay. Oh my gosh, I totally never thought yeah, about neither that. Neither did I. Which just proves that there's some human behaviors that even a plague can't stop. So, but th- that's where we're at. I mean, they've, there are industries that have gone to zero. Imagine you were an event planner. Well, think of banquet halls. You owned a banquet hall. You, you, you were in the wedding dress business. Um, this is a vast swath of our economy. And let me tell you the one thing that, that relentlessly pisses me off about, you know, business leaders' comments on some of these issues is when I hear constantly, well, 
the people who are off work and maybe off work for a long time didn't buy houses anyway. Everybody should stop saying mm -hmm. that. That is not right. I mean, it is reasonable that those people who are working in those jobs, whether in a hotel, a restaurant, um, the event, all these people, had a, a, a reason to want to someday acquire a home and own a home. And to say that, well, they're a permanent underclass that was never going to own a home anyway is a relentlessly wrong thing to say. People yeah, I agree. That is. Because okay. if there's aspirations for them to be able to get to that point, and maybe some of them were close. Right? They don't know what, what kind of position they've been and what kind of struggles they've done and what kind of, uh, what kind of determination they had and, and money they've put aside. Like, you, know, you, you can't say stuff like that. So when, when would you re rein in some of these programs, Ron? I'm interested. So we've, we've helped the economy. We've kind of, you know, and I know, do you now just go to some industries? Do we say, okay, airlines, banquet halls, gyms, you know, some of the ones that are restaurants, you keep getting it. Do we rein in by industry segment? Because it feels to me that if we we're going to zombify everything, because if, if this payroll subsidy continues, Till the end of whenever the year, whenever I think it's the end of the year, the payroll subsidy was uh, prolonged to, to. I just feel like, are we then then when it pulls away, what's left then? Like I, I just don't understand how we kind of get out of this. Well, that's, that's a fantastic point. And the real answer is we have to start changing on Labor Day. I mean, we, we, there has to be finite dates. There has to be real. I think planning. so, right? Yeah. It has to be real yeah. planning. Yeah, okay. agreed. You know, here, here, the, our world has become so crazy that school boards are going to decide when kids can go to school. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. it is crazy. I mean, I know some of the people who run school boards. I wouldn't let them operate a chain of pay toilets. Whoa, okay. whoa, Ron, whoa. Out of everything a you've chain, said so far. A chain whoa. of pay toilets. That's yeah. like a... Okay. <laughs> Honestly, it's a, the, you know, literally in many school boards, the, the inmates are in charge of the asylum. They're all ex-teachers, ex-administrators, and they are now got the say on when people are going to go. When look, the people who we're going to find out in the when this all finally comes to an end, the people who are going to find out are the most affected, most brutally affected in this whole thing, are women, because for single moms, for 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 mom, you know, I, I talked to a woman who runs a huge mortgage brokerage. Huge, huge mortgage brokerage. It's more a franchise model. There's just there's just jillions of agents all over Ontario, and she said to me, "I'm a full time. I, I run a 1.4 billion dollar mortgage business with all these agents who you know require like infinite Zoom meetings every day, and I have five kids at home. Wow. I have five kids at home who none of whom can cook anything and can barely." pick up their clothes and put them and organize that. And so I'm doing all that. I'm continuing to run the mortgage brokerage and I don't know what the hell's going to happen to me in another eight weeks. Cause it's not easy in any friggin' way that yeah, you that, can imagine. That, that's okay. serious. Yeah. So let's understand that it's when, almost sing, single parents in general, but, but yeah. And, and, and let's face it. If we're really honest, if we're really honest, as much as there should be equality in parenting, there still isn't. And this is so wrong. It's so wrong for school boards to say, yeah, I think we'll bring them in for two days and then out for three days and in for three days. We're going to clean the school. And we're gonna, like, what the hell is wrong with you people? Like, can't you just figure out that the senior high kids can, can stay home? 
and stay on the computer. They're, they're old enough, and their parents don't have to watch them every minute of the day and get every single one of these elementary-age kids back in school full-time so that women can, and it, because it is women to a great extent, can now have a normal work life again. Like, what is wrong with you people? What is wrong? Yeah, because in our society right now, like, you know, with where expenses are for so many things, it's much harder to have a single income family so that you need the double income, you know, for, for the vast majority of families. And if, if you're preventing someone from being able to earn that at its at the full capacity, it's 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 not just an ec- like the argument that I hear is like, oh, is the economy more important than this? Well, it's not just an economic thing. It's like it's the health of that family, the financial health of that family as well that needs to be considered as well. Right. So. So we can't, I, I liked what you, how you phrased the housing that we need, you know, the, the idea to buy someone's own home, just going back to that for a second, is really an attractive reason to come to Canada. So then we have to kind of have some of these programs to allow people to buy housing. I kind of like that whole concept. That's really cool. Then with interest rates being so low, is it then, because I, I was going to kind of point to some of the banking models of like, hey, raise down payments, you know, we want to cool this. Is it then the governments who have just spent too much over the last 10, 15, 20 years, especially that has forced them to keep rates so low? That is because I'm going back to that Scarborough home that you're saying is like, why is it priced at 900,000? So then is it the government then has just spent so much and now they have to keep rates so low because we can't even pay the interest on our own debt? In the U.S. kind of leads the way Canada, our Bank of Canada then follows because we can't raise our rates because we have to have our dollar cheaper export export based economy the whole bit. Um, so is, is it the government spending that has caused the Scarborough home to be the 900,000 that we're talking about? I'm trying to just get to the, like, where's the crux of the problem here? Crux of the problem is, is what you just said, but there's those intervening factors of we've let way too much foreign money come into two markets. Okay. So two marketplaces, it's distorted it completely. People say, wait a second. It's not that big. Hold on. It's not that big, but everybody who understands real estate pricing understands that, that the person who paid the most that day in the neighborhood changed the price of everybody's house. That's how it works. That's comps. So if the people who are buying that house, all of their income comes from another country, it's distortion, period. End of story. No discussion. So we got a terrible... Okay. So we get, let's so better income and capital controls coming into this country. And let's think of the other thing you just brought up crazy supply problems like why is it three years to get a shovel in the ground to put a housing uh, put a sub subdivision in why does it take three years of nonsense and huge expense you want to if you're a developer and there's a reason that madame says i'm just going to go to the states it takes three years to get a subdivision approved in canada it takes 12 weeks in austin texas so why am i here why am i here mm-hmm. So we have terrible supply problems that are entirely government-based. We have stupid policies about letting all the capital that you want in from other countries to buy housing stock and leave it empty. And then we have the small problem, but still meaningful in a city like Toronto and Vancouver, cities like Toronto and Vancouver, of letting Airbnbs create illegal hotels. That we thought they were going to be long-term rental stock, and they're not. They're illegal hotels, which are now empty. And... You're right. It, it, so that distortion is a big point. A while ago, Iran, we looked into the, the China, I think about 10 years ago, had foreign reserves of like $4 trillion, And after the financial crisis, it went down to like $3 trillion. So a trillion just like vanished out of that country. So we just did some like 
pie in the sky kind of number crunching. We're like, how big is the Canadian economy globally? Because our, our, our economy globally, whatever it is, it should then attract that percentage of that trillion dollars to this country. I think it attracts more to this country, but just on a whole. So we just analyzed that if a trillion left China and then Canada's X percentage of the global economy, we did the math on that and how that would affect the real estate market with a bunch of that coming to like Vancouver and Toronto. It was mind blowing how much that money could affect what percentage that was going to be. And I don't have the article. We, had, we did a blog post yeah. on this on, on how much that would affect the Toronto and Vancouver real estate markets. Just it, it couldn't blow your mind. So to your point, that is a huge distortion in the real estate market that definitely feels like it needs to be addressed for sure. But then I wonder if we address it, then then do we not get the immigration that we so desperately need as well? No, no I, I can't agree with that because these people don't live in Canada. Okay, they, got they, it. They yeah, buy yeah. houses, they, they station their children here through an education, through, because if you, if you go through university here, it's much easier to get a PR card. So their children are stationed here, they're not here. They're back in, Canada, they're back in China running their businesses. And the, the children only need one house. So why do they own six? Yeah. And two of them are empty. So this is, you know what the immigration that we want in this country, and thank God it's, it's like still 97% these people. People want to live here, work here, pay taxes here, and raise a family here. Contribute, yeah. That's the people we want. We do not want people who come here, as to your point, who are on the way back home, uh, way back to the airport, say, well, let's go in and buy six condos. Okay, that, that's, not, that's not sensible. That's stupid. So, but, but the people who come here to, to from other countries to live here, work, pay taxes, raise a family, but that's the, what we want. So then, but, but, so I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second, because then that, doesn't that apply to real estate investors too, that buy five properties and they're renting them out. So at least they're providing some housing. So because you're talking, I guess you're more specifically talking, and maybe you're talking about both, but more sp- specifically the ones that are not even renting them out, they're leaving the properties vacant because they're just pure speculation and they're, they're trading them like commodities. That is 100% correct. And it's so easily correctable. Vacant homes tax, yeah. not 1%, not 2%, not 3%, 15%. What's Vancouver doing? What's their vacant home tax? Their vacant I home forget. tax is about uh, 1.5%. Oh, that's small. Do we, did, did Toronto, and by the, and did Toronto by, but, do one? Toronto was going to do one, right? No, I forget now. I don't. We don't have no, one. They, not they that didn't I know do, of. Yeah, okay. No, I forgot. So how about fifteen percent? You yeah. want to you want to put some housing stock back into the market instantly? You want to lick some of that supply problem? Fifteen percent. You know what was interesting? The foyer, the foreign buyer tax was quite interesting because when Vancouver did it over there, we saw there was an immediate uptick rush in the yeah. amount of uh, the amount of people. I'm sure Ron the, saw yeah, too. the amount of foreigners that were coming but into no, mortgage, the mortgage brokers area. don't see that. Yeah, because oh, they're buying yeah. cash. They're, they're, yeah, cash, sorry, they're yeah. cash process. But, it, but oh immediate, there's, there's, a, there's immediate uptake in from Vancouver, from the people come, that were going to go there. The foreign buyer tax came in place, and they came to Toronto. Like, we and, saw it right away, you remember? And when Toronto established a foreign buyer's tax, they immediately went to Montreal. Montreal, yeah, exactly. Exactly. We saw the same thing. So it's interesting. We can see it. Mm-hmm. If you talk to people in the federal government, they tell us we're crazy. Really? Oh yeah. People in the federal government say no, 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 no. Foreign buyer, foreign buyers, foreign, foreign people buying properties is meaningless in this economy. They have to say that or something. All we did, that Ron, all we did that blew our mind was taking the money that left China, 
We looked at Canada's GDP as a percentage of the rest of the world. We multiplied that against the money that left China, assuming that that would be the percentage comes, that comes to Canada, which is a very simple calculation. And then we took that amount and analyzed it against the Toronto Real Estate Board to see what kind of that money, if we divided equally between like Vancouver and Toronto, how that would affect the Toronto Real Estate Board. And it just blew us away. Like that isn't even complex analysis. So, and, and I think Canada attracted more of the money than equally distributed as the world's GDP. So I really believe that this isn't really that difficult to figure out. And I'm sure we could see it flowing into the banking system. And let's face it, there's massive anecdotal evidence. You just have to drive around certain neighborhoods and look at houses that have been empty for five years. This is, this is not a complex question. It's a simple question. But to, to think about, I just want to jump back to the, the moment of time that we exist in right now for a second. This is, a, this is why this, the, the, the stuff that we're doing, the stuff the country has done, Serbs, you name it, was important. It had to happen. I, this is a really good quote I heard. You can't criticize the outcome of battlefield surgery. You just can't. It just doesn't make sense. It's not logical. And that's what our government went through in April, May, June. But now that things are changing, we have to be laser focused on dealing with what's going on here. You cannot continue. This, yeah, this, yeah, we have to revert back to some proper action. Guess what? Yeah. We have a functioning EI system. Mm-hmm. We have a system of unemployment insurance that is good at managing people who are unemployed and has existed for a long time and has a whole massive infrastructure behind it. So CERB ends, go on EI. It's very simple. Uh, the thing about CERB is, is that literally everybody was getting it. So 8 million people on CERB, there aren't 8 million people unemployed in Canada. This is, those numbers don't, don't match at all. So there's a lot of people receiving the money. Look, it's fine. Fine for now, has to change, has to change now, because we're in this strange, aberrant moment that is dangerous. It's dangerous for the stock market to have made a complete recovery when there's whole <laughs> I help, industries. I can't help but laugh when I hear that. I just can't help but laugh. This, this is laughable. Yeah, yeah. It's laughable. Uh, you can't have a stock market that's made a complete recovery when whole industries were not, are not going to go back to work for two years in any meaningful way. They're not going to get. Wasn't Hertz? Didn't Hertz declare bankruptcy and then started offering some debt on their their what was left of them? Yeah, I, they, 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 they actually they actually Hertz actually was in a, thought about doing a stock issue that's right, in a bankrupt that's company. Right. We're going to we're going to sell shares in a bankrupt company. Yeah, so. I, t- I totally forgot about that. Um, okay, let me paint a picture for you. I want your opinion uh, on this. The, we're in the because we looked back at the Great Depression, and there's a moment in time after the stock market collapse where things kind of stabilized, and loans actually back then kind of went up, like things stabilized for a period of time. But then everyone kind of looked around, I assume, and thought, oh, the economy's not recovering, and things came down. Are we in this weird time? To whoever you said, Jamie Dimon or whoever the C, I forget. Yep, Jamie okay. Dimon. Uh, are we in this weird moment where the economic data? Because forward guidance by a lot of S&P companies, I think they're not even giving it anymore. Correct. So, so, so are we in this weird moment that we're not going to see the Q2 devastation until like September, October? No, we're not going to realize how bad things were. And then things drastically change this fall where everyone loses hope that we're going to come out into this V-shaped kind of recovery. The stock market changes direction. People go into a fear-based, uh, uh, you know, uh, fear-based 
kind of mode. Savings rates goes higher. That decreases the velocity of money in the economy, which shrinks the economy and forces us into some sort of deep recession. Well, I, I'm not trying to be a doomsdayer. No, I'm really no, just no, trying to throw out no, a scenario. No. And because I want to know so that we can all prepare. So the, the, all of the academic study of the Great Depression, there's, it's been massive. In fact, Ben Bernanke, the former Fed governor in the United States, his whole academic life was in study of the Great Depression. And the, the final determination is the real cause of the Great Depression was a failure of the financial system. It was a, nobody, nobody could grow their business because nobody could get a loan. The ba- so many banks failed. Remember, they, we talked earlier about how they were state licensed. So many banks failed. So many local banks failed. Banks wouldn't lend. We don't have that problem in Canada. We have, uh, we have a system by which uh, our central bank can ensure that all of these banks have liquidity. They can continue to lend. And so that element is off the table. What we have to understand is, though, that there's industries that are not going to return to work. And this is going to become known Give me, give you a quick one. Talked to a uh, aircraft mechanic uh, yesterday. Uh, he's look, looking to buy a house. Looking to buy buy a good, bigger house. Good, good income, I'm sure that job. Good is income. Good, yeah. Uh, not working at all. He's on Sue's. So I said to him, "Do you do you, do you think that everything you're going to return to work?" And he said, "Well, probably, but in the meantime, I'm basically getting the same pay as I used to." Uh, Wait a second. I said, like, unfortunately, banks may not share your opinion that you're going to always make the same pay as you used to. Um, and this is what we're up against right now. This is the true illusionary moment. The true illusionary moment is on the income side right now. It's on people thinking, I got no problem. I got no problem. I, I, I told the story. Mortgages are deferred. Uh, income's there. <laughs> Everything's Mortgages rosy. Mortgages deferred. I mean, I, I, I told the story of a, of, a, of a bartender who got laid off. He applied for EI before CERB came out. He didn't get his EI, so he, he hadn't come yet, so he applied for CERB. He got the CERB. Two weeks, a week and a half later, the EI showed up. His girlfriend, who was a waitress they live with, is on CERB. And they have a, a, they have a, a rent a townhouse that's relatively reasonable rent in Mississauga. And they're, they have a roommate who pays them $900 a month. They are living their best they're, life they're on CERB. There yeah, is not, they, they, there's, there's nearly 78, sorry, there's $6,800 a month coming into that household, into their, their, their household. Um, and again, I believe, I believe in CERB. I believe CERB had to happen. What we have to do is make the adjustments now. Because if we live in this artificial world, it's not going to work out well long term. Circling back to the depression issue, yeah, I don't think we're actually going to see the real effects of this economic catastrophe. Maybe really feel it in a real way Q2 next year. Yeah, you think it'll take that long to show itself? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Because we, we, we also know absolutely. I've always been thinking the fall. That's been my, I'm like, ah. Won't be the fall. Won't be the yeah, fall. Too, I guarantee you it won't be the fall because. Um, too soon. Too, soon. too Mo- soon. The money's flowing still. So if mortgage deferral ends, except perhaps for the people, because we the, the bankers tell me and our practical experience tells us as mortgage brokers that fully 50 to 60% of the people who are on mortgage deferral do not need to be in mortgage deferral at all. Sure. Yeah. They actually are fully employed. Yeah. yeah. They just thought, oh. I don't have to pay my mortgage. It's mm-hmm. good. They didn't understand the fact they were still they were rolling the interest into the mortgage. They sure. didn't understand that yeah. fact, but they they just went ahead and deferred for no particularly good reason. They just heard the announcement and said, "Great," uh, because mortgage deferral again is just a portal. You go onto the portal, you f- answer the five questions, and your mortgage stops for six months. 
So why not? So when that finally some ends, of them aren't even six questions. Some of them some are them like, uh, just a button. Just a button. Press the button. <laughs> press the button. Uh, so but, but so what, but the thing to consider is that when mortgage deferral, by the way. Many banks allow four investment property mortgages as well as your maximum five mm-hmm. mortgages. So there's investment properties that are, that are under deferral for their mortgages. So when that gradually comes to an end, and it will, then people are still okay for a few months. People don't go into, people who really have, don't have income, or they may be getting sues. I mean, again, this whole vast array of programs creates an illusionary environment. But sooner or later, people will say, Okay, I, I I I got a problem. I can't pay my mortgage. That is not going to happen in the fall. That's not yeah, especially now with CERB. See, CERB originally was going to end in the summer, so I was thinking the fall. The payroll, the SUS program was going to end. I can't remember when initially, but now that it's to the end of the year, so this is going to push things. So yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe not to Q Q one Q two next year. I'm I I have a firm feeling because eventually the government will run out of money. I mean, you know, right now printing press go brrr, money flying out, uh, but eventually the government, you know, eventually some foreign buyers of our bonds are going to start to say, we're, about, we're not going to roll over your bonds, so you got to stop this. Uh, and at that moment in time, they'll be, uh, so I'm, I'm thinking Q2 2021 yeah you might be right this is where we should do our over under betting this is where this is where we can do our over under betting when does when does shit really hit the fan but, well it's uh, not this year yeah, yeah it's not this year okay and then so just 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 to wrap i guess back to that that scarborough home and, and the, the price of it there's not really much we can in in, in this environment with money flowing the way it is and our population numbers the way they are the, the lack of capital controls, so the distortions in the market are going to continue. We're going to see, we can potentially see higher prices from here. And, and, and again, I'm not coming from like rah-rahing the real estate market at all. I'm, I'm not coming from that angle. I'm, I'm fine if prices go down. I, I truly am. But I'm just thinking here, I'm like, huh, okay. Money's going to continue to flow in here. It, we're going to have a little bit of lull in immigration numbers, let's face it. But long term, we're not. So like in the next 12 months, you know, maybe it's going to dip because what all travel restrictions, right. who knows? It's absolutely going to dip. Yeah, yeah. But but long term, we've had such a we have had such growth in the last 10 years. And the next 10 years, Canada's still going to look like a good place to come. So we might have this lull. But I, I, I don't know. Property prices, maybe they just go up from here. They're going to go up this year for sure. Uh, they are up. They're up. This uh, the the Treb is telling us that they have now surpassed the record of uh, late 2016 yeah. or first quarter 2017. They're, they're now at the highest point in the history of history. Uh, so, and that's a lot so to do. So maybe Q2 next. But year. But that's diminished inventory too. There's very little sure. inventory yeah. in the market. Yeah, that's very, very that's changing. Yeah, that's changing the market so for sure. So what what's what I see happening is that we every, every we will feel this lull in immigration when you're bringing in 300,000 people a year, 350,000 people a year, and you go to enormously less because nobody's coming. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is a plague. Yeah. I'd love to know the accurate number. You're right. You're right. Very hard to get accurate numbers out of this government right now. It's essentially impossible. (laughs) Always, always, but now, especially particularly now, no numbers, nobody knows anything. Trust us. Just trust us. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Uh, So again, comes back to next year, Q1, Q2, And nobody in Toronto and Vancouver is, is, is being talked about a little bit, but nobody's probably properly addressed the fact that everybody who believed that the investor in student housing was golden for eternity, that that was the most lucrative, hard to finance, but the most lucrative way to make money 
in the rental marketplace with student housing is all of a sudden going to find that they are deader than doornails because in particularly in southwestern Ontario and in the lower mainland, 60% of the students are from other countries. So they ain't coming, period. So all of a sudden, we're going to see a lot of that in September. You know, with the stuff that we talked about, the condos, the Airbnb condos suddenly flooding the marketplace, we're now going to discover that there's a bunch of student housing that people are going to say, WTF, uh, I'm in some trouble here. Okay, uh, they ain't, there are no students this semester. Now, maybe they've done well enough to hang on for a full semester. It's all good, but maybe not. So again, everything that, that we think about today is postponed. It's postponed either to the late fall, Q1, Q2 next year, every single potential problem that we look at right now does not exist this summer mm-hmm. and will not exist this summer. Yeah, we're in la-la land. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is a fugue state of the economy right now. There is no sense to this whatsoever. Ron, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. I uh, love chatting with you. I forget. You, when did you get into the mortgage industry? Uh, it's like 24 years ago. 24 years. You've seen a thing or two. I've seen a lot. I've seen I a lot. I think you're going to see a few more things coming in the next <laughs> couple of years. Maybe in the next two years, you're going to see more than you saw in the last 24. Who knows? But uh, Ron, appreciate it. So how can people find Ron Butler? Twitter handle, website, you name it, hand it out. Uh, it's, uh, hash, it's Twitter, it's Ron Mortgage Guy. Uh, and uh, our company is Butler Mortgage. And it's, it's very, very easily found on Google. Um, and because we don't, we're, we, we're actually well positioned in some ways for what happened. We haven't seen clients for seven years. We're a digital based company. So, um, so that's what we are. We're easy to find. Literally you Google Butler mortgage and there's pages and pages of stuff come up. Uh, don't. And apparently you have some opinions on Twitter. So I have some opinions on, on Twitter, Twitter too. Ron, opinions what Twitter. is it? What? Ron, Ron Mortgage Guy. Ron the Mortgage Guy. Uh, Ron Mortgage Guy. Ron Mortgage Guy. Who would have thought you'd have opinions? Yeah, I'm, right? I'm shocked <laughs> to think that you would have opinions, but wow, apparently. I'll tell you what, if you are if you like social media uh, and you've been involved in social media for a long time and not Twitter, don't go on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, Warzone. A, a, a couple, Warzone. A couple of guys I know in the mortgage business decided they're going to go on Twitter after they've been oh. Facebook and Instagram warriors oh, yeah. for the last uh, three years. It's a different and I, world. I got a text from a guy the other day. I said, what is going on on Twitter? I, I posted I posted that I thought Je- the anniversary of Jeff Bezos founding of Amazon, he, he puts up an innocuous post about, oh, this guy came from nothing. He's done so well. And 35 people posted, you capitalist son yeah, of a bitch. Okay? Yeah. Oh, you are, you are, you oh. are so wrong. He was from a wealthy family. Uh, you're, you're, what is it? You are another scumbag, another mortgage scumbag. Okay. <laughs> he texts me. He says, what is wrong with Twitter? It is virtual, <laughs> virtual warfare. <laughs> you got to get ready. If you put, you got to put the full armor on. If you're going yeah, on Twitter, yeah, you really got to go is. full. You're, you got to be fully you need engaged. A ta- you don't need of armor. Fully you need to be engaged. inside a tank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's like, as we always say, the Twitterverse is the land of anger and hate. Yeah, it's yeah. as simple as that. <laughs> well, uh, hey, uh, well, good way to sell it. So you can find you at his, yeah, uh, Ron Mortgage <laughs> Guy on Twitter. And, and listen, a, a shout out to Rockstar uh, because I, I, I'm, in, I'm in Rockstar's new offices. And I got to admit, it's really, really something. These are beautiful offices. And I hope that none of my 
my two sons don't listen to this podcast at all <laughs> because uh, they're always railing at me that we're in this cavern, ugly, low rent, cheapo smart. office. That's also uh, smart. When Dave, that's, when that, Dave, the first time Dave was here, when it was fiscally done, fiscally smart. Yeah, but when first time Dave was here, when it was done, and we, he went outside, and he was just he st- we stood outside while we were leaving, and he just looked in, and he's like. You know, like he like just a couple times he, he commented. He's like, "Wow, man, this is pretty nice." I'm like, "Thanks, Dave. You know, we appreciate it, right?" But you could see, see there was some wheels turning. Now I know what the wheels were turning. That's now I know. How do I sell so. Ron Butler? <laughs> well, no, he, he, Dave, Dave can Dave can absolutely do whatever he wants. But both of them do talk about the fact that this is like a 1950s office that we we to function in with some of the lowest rent you could imagine. Uh, but Ron, you just said you're all digital. Listen, listen. Remember I said how our family uh, was flipping properties at 1990, right at the peak of the the market and then it crashed we closed on this office in february 2020 what happened in march 2020 the biggest economic yeah you can laugh ron you can laugh at us you can laugh look at him he's just laughing the timing yes. was perfect yes ron. yes ron you can laugh at us because we are destined to repeat our family's history and just go through different real estate pain so that we can share our lessons with other people so that maybe they don't have to suffer as much as we suffer but you still you are going to suffer in a beautiful office yeah, okay. <laughs> Thanks, guys. We'll leave it at that. Thanks, Ron. Ron. Appreciate it. Thank Thanks you. a lot. Hey, everyone. So hopefully you enjoyed that episode with Ron Butler. He's on Twitter at Ron Mortgage Guy. That's at Ron Mortgage Guy if you want to check him out on Twitter. Thanks, Ron, for jumping on the podcast. That was a lot of fun. We really appreciate it. And listen, if you are listening to this and you want some real estate information from us, you can check us all out at, you can check us all out, you can check us out, all of us out. Something like that. You know what I'm talking about. You can check us out at www.rockstarinnercircle.com. That's www.rockstarinnercircle.com. That's it for now. Till next time, your life, your terms.